Greetings, friends, fellow patriots, fellow citizens, and even non-citizens who listen to this podcast around the globe. Uh, greetings. My name is Tom Zawistowski. I'm the host of the We the People Convention News and Opinion podcast. I'm also the president of the We the People Convention organization. And this podcast and our website and our emails and our text messages and our phone app and our donations to other groups and the events that we put on and the cost of my speaking around the state and the nation are all paid for through the generous donations of those of you who donate to the We the People Convention. And while we know everyone can't afford to do that in today's tough economic times, those of you who do, we can't thank you enough. And you can join them by going to wethepeopleconvention.org and clicking on the donate link. So thank you. All of you who have been with us for a long time, welcome back. It's so great to see you again. Uh, we've got you know a show that's really full as, as you can tell, things are heating up. It's it's crazy uh, what's going on uh, now. There's uh, there's so much information and misinformation. And for those of you who are new to the podcast, what you need to understand is this is a news aggregation show. We're trying to understand what happened this week. Get rid of the propaganda, the mis and disinformation. And boy, are we going to be talking about that in this podcast and try to cut through it and find the truth. But not just the truth. The goal here for all of us is to protect and defend our individual freedom, liberty, and prosperity. So we're looking for news and information that will give us uh, what we need to make decisions to protect and defend our individual freedom, liberty, and prosperity. So while we will talk a lot in this podcast about what happened this week and give opinions about what it means and how it's connected together, mostly we will also ask you to take action in defense of your liberty and freedom and prosperity. And we will have ask in this show. And if you watch the show, the reason to watch the show is to take action, not just to be entertained. I'm not an entertainer. I, I'm, I will inform you. I will educate you, but I'm not here to entertain you. I'm here to share information with you and then come up with ideas for actions we can take to protect ourselves, okay? Now, many of you who are new may be looking at the upside-down flag and saying, why is this flag upside down? And it's not because we disrespect our flag. It's a warning to our fellow citizens that we are in dire distress, that you know we are under attack, from in within and outside of our government, uh, primarily by China, and we are in in danger to our lives and our property. And folks, that, that's just if you don't understand that, you just don't understand what's going on in the world today. They are trying to kill us. If you are not down for all the you know, tyranny, right? And they're trying to enslave us and take our property. That's not my opinion. You'll see that in this podcast. We always bring receipts. And, and one of the receipts is that we always acknowledge to start our podcast, the January 6th political prisoners. And again, we do that because any one of us could be them. And if we do not win this election, if we do not elect Donald Trump to restore our republic and our constitutional form of government, and defeat the Marxists who've taken over our country and our government and want to rule over us, we could all be in the same situation that the January 6th political prisoners are in. We could be put in jail, 
for no reason. And, and again, you say, oh, you know, come on, they, they did things wrong. Yeah, no, no, they didn't. Not compared to what, you know, the challenges they're facing legally, the sentences they're facing. Just like the phony you know, trial that we'll talk about later uh, against Trump for uh, a non-crime in New York that they want to fine him $350 million for. Find, show me the man and I'll show you the crime, comrade. That's what that is. The January 6th political prisoners are not being prosecuted. They're being persecuted. And we remember them to start every podcast because they are the canary in the coal mine. We all could be them as early as next year. Okay? So join me. Let's pray for them. Uh, let's, you know, last week I told you a heart-rending story about the torture that they're doing on Jake Lang, the other prisoners. Pray for God to give them strength and courage to somehow survive this like, um, you know, those who survived the gulags in Russia, uh, you know, when Stalin was murdering millions. Pray for the prisoners. Pray for their families to stay with them and, and to look forward to the day when they come home. Pray for their attorneys, okay? Join me. Thank you very much. The news I have for you for January 6th this week is important news. The Supreme Court has scheduled a a defensive hearing for the defendant that is the prime um, appeal for this obstruction of an official proceeding charge that has bogusly been, you know, put against the January 6th defendants, hundreds of them. The Supreme Court will hear the closely watched case on January 6th, uh, uh, defendant on April 16th. The court announced on February 16th. The case could lead to the dropping of charges against many defendants charged in connection with the January 6th protest of the pending congressional certification of the 2020 presidential election results at the U.S. Capitol. Former police officer Joseph W. Fisher of Jonestown, Pennsylvania, is the main defendant in the case known as Fisher versus United States. Jake Lang and other prisoners are, are also you know, have filed to be part of this case and were accepted as such. Uh, the oral argument was scheduled in a notice posted by the court on its website. If the court finds an Enron-era obstruction law, 18 U.S. Code Section 1512, is being used improperly against the defendants, their charges are likely to be thrown out. Legal experts feel that this has been an overreach by the Justice Department. We agree, and we are going to you know, pray, and I ask you all to pray that the Supreme Court overturns this horrendous use uh, misuse of the law. See, because for most of these people, they were charged with misdemeanors, parading in the Capitol, you know, being uh, 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 trespassing on Capitol grounds when they didn't even know they were. But the, but the kicker was this obstruction of official proceeding, meaning that because you were at the Capitol and this riot broke out, which there's plenty of evidence and more evidence coming out every day that this was instigated by the deep state, okay, to do what? To stop the investigation into the the election count. See, that's what they needed to stop. And I put out that video. It's on our website in in the video section that shows the the timeline of what happened and how right before they were going to start saying, we challenged the Arizona election results, boop, 
oh, there's a there's a riot. You got to clear the chamber. None of this can proceed. And now they have an emergency and they didn't have to follow the rules anymore. Anyway, the point is this obstruction charge is a felony that can give you 20 years in prison. So you're just parading through the Capitol when the police let you in. You didn't push enemy, do anything, but they're charging you with this to punish you, to persecute you, not because you broke this obstruction law, which has to do with destroying uh, you know, financial documents, okay, which none of these people did. So pray that uh, they're going to uh, overturn this. You won't know till June. Okay, they will. They are going to hear the you know the defense and the and the prosecution on April fifteenth, but they will not you know announce what they decided until June. So we're looking forward to that. Many of you, you know, I've been talking about you know our our victory fund, right, which we are using to fund our fights to elect President Trump and congressional candidates and take back the Senate. So if you go to our website, you know, just look for our plan, uh, you know, to. For 2024, you'll see this logo in the article sections, you know, for our victory fund. But many of you who have donated before have been seeing a video of which I'm going to play for you from me on your computers, on your phones, and other devices. Hi, it's Tom Zawistowski, president of the We the People Convention. We've been through a lot together over the years, haven't we? Some of you have been with me for 15 years, but now we're playing for all the marbles, and I need you more than ever. I need you to donate today to the 2024 Victory Fund so that we have the resources we need to elect President Trump and save our nation. Please go to freedomforallpack.org and give what you can. Thank you for your past support, but now I need you more than ever. So that is uh, being played for some of you uh, because I'm using a, a new technology called IP targeting which we're trying to get you know, some of our conservative candidates to use because we're being blocked in emails and text messages. They're basically trying to make it impossible for us to elect people that are conservative. That's what they're trying to do. This IP targeting is a way where we can match a list of voters and people that are members of our organization. We can match their IP address to their home address and then Using their IP address, we can send that ad, uh, and it doesn't have to be a video, it can be a static ad, uh, to people so that we can communicate with them. Uh, I hope you've been getting those if you're a previous donor. That's the only people we're doing this with right now, not just not everyone that's ever been involved with our organization. Uh, but we have been getting some results, and we thank you. We thank all the people who are donating to our fund, okay? This Freedom for, uh, you know, for All PAC is our super PAC, which allows us to do federal election you know, campaigning. So please do what you can. As I said in that video, we're playing for all the marbles. We need resources to be able to use IP targeting to help candidates to you know, do press releases and polling and, and to try to you know, help every candidate we can win. So go to freedomforallpac.org and, and click on the donate link and do what you can to help us. We'd greatly appreciate it. Okay, now on to the news of the week, quote unquote, the news. And this is again, folks, we have to be about the truth. I cannot lie to you. You cannot lie to me. You can't lie to your family, your kids, your family, your, your employer, your employees, your customers. We got to get back to integrity. All right. And I, I played the video a couple weeks ago with uh, Jordan Peterson saying the way to defeat the left is to tell the truth all the time. 
It's like holy water on a vampire. They can't handle the truth. Okay. So in this podcast, we're going to be looking at things with, you know, with really, you know, an eye towards what is really true or not. So this is a big story that broke yesterday. Uh, Alex Novotny, uh, martyr for Russian democracy, dies in prison at age 47. Alex Navalny, the Russian opposition leader, who was the public face of internal opposition to Vladimir Putin, has died in prison. The 47-year-old politician, who was serving a decades-long prison sentence on trumped-up charges at a facility around 40 miles north of the Arctic Circle. Yeah, that had to be a good time. Reportedly said he felt unwell after taking a walk and passed away shortly thereafter. Russian prison officials uh, had this report. On February 16th, in penal colony number three, the convict Alex Navalny felt unwell after a walk, almost immediately losing consciousness, according to representatives of the department. Medical personnel from the institution arrived promptly, and an ambulance pr- crew was called. All necessary resuscitation measures were carried out, but unfortunately, they did not yield positive results. The emergency medical team pronounced the convict dead. The cause of death is being investigated. Well, it, there's, you don't need to bother with that. They poisoned them. They, they assassinated him. Okay? Now, two things. First of all, the U.S. media is, is making this guy, oh, he was a martyr for democracy in Russia. That's, that's not really true. If you look at his background when he was younger, he was all over the map. He was to the right of Putin. Right. He was talking about, you know, uh, these people coming into Russia who weren't Russian were like a cancer and should be removed. He was for the invasion of Ukraine and then he was against the invasion of Ukraine. So, again, don't believe their lies. The question you need to ask and I need to ask is why did this happen now? Why did this happen right after Tucker Carlson's interview with Putin? which upset the intelligence agencies and all that stuff. Why did this happen now? Okay, so then what does, what, what's the political part of this, right? Because all of this is used to influence you and our policy, right? So what happens? Next thing that happens, Biden comes out and does an impromptu press conference. What are they thinking? Biden uses Navalny's death to bash Republicans for holding up, you guessed it, Ukraine funding. President Joe Biden used Russian opposition leader Alexei Navalny's death Friday to bash House Republicans who have yet to pass a package that would provide funding for Ukraine. And to uh, to Speaker Johnson's credit, the House went on a two-week recess, so they can't pass it. Good job. Russian prison services announced Navalny's death on Friday, Biden addressed the death as in an unexpected address, saying that the tragedy reminds Americans of the stakes of this moment as Ukraine fights its war with Russia. Now, what does that have to do with that? I don't know, but the whole point is this. There was a bipartisan Senate vote that passed overwhelmingly in the United States Senate to fund Ukraine, Biden said in his address. Now, as I've said before, and I mean this in a literal sense, history is watching. History is watching the House of Representatives. A failure to support Ukraine at this critical moment will never be forgotten. It is going to go down in the pages of history. It really is. It's consequential, and the the clock is ticking, don't you know? Okay? So let's use this death to now press the House to do what they shouldn't do, which is pass this obscene funding bill for Ukraine 
for Israel, for Taiwan. No border funding. But here's the part you got to know. This bill actually has language in it that would impeach President Trump if he became president and tried to stop the Ukraine war. This thing is evil, okay? But here's the worst part. Folks, we are $34 trillion in debt. They are saying we're going to go borrow $95 million, probably from the Chinese, to send to Ukraine and to Israel, which is a wealthy country and doesn't need our charity, okay? They're only giving money to you, to Israel to try to manipulate Israel, to try to control its behavior, okay? This whole bill is obscene, and it's all because of money paid to your congressmen, your senators from the defense industry, okay? And they'll claim, and it's true, that most of the money, quote-unquote, for Ukraine— is actually a bait and switch because what happens is we send our old weapons to Ukraine and then we spend the money in the U.S. making new tanks here in Ada, Ohio, or you know making new planes at, at, with Boeing or in, or in, in you know or um, in Seattle, and so the money is spent here, but it's money we don't need to spend, and it's borrowed money. So then what what happens next? Oh, pressure mounts. Speaker Johnson signals hope for Ukraine aid following Alexei Navalny's death, don't you know? Speaker Mike Johnson called for the United States to use every means possible to stop Russia's advance in Ukraine after Alexei Navalny, a top Putin critic, died in prison under mysterious circumstances. Johnson has made similar declarations in the past before becoming Speaker last October. He flatly stated that Ukraine has to prevail against Russia, but he also has fueled doubts about his commitment to further aid to the embattled ally, demanding accountability over how funds are spent and refusing to vote until Congress reaches an agreement on border security. That's right. That's the American people deserve at a minimum. We understand that there's concern about the safety and security and sovereignty of Ukraine, but the American people have those same concerns about our own domestic sovereignty and our safety and our security, Johnson told reporters in January. Um, Johnson reaffirmed his resolve on Friday, however, following reports that Navalny, an imprisoned Russian opposition leader, had died. He denounced Russian President Vladimir Putin as a vicious dictator over Navalny's apparent assassination and called on world leaders to present united opposition to Russia aggression. But you see what's going on here? We're going to use this to pressure our representatives to do something they should not do. And you should be calling your representatives and saying, and now that they're on break, that they're in a two-week recess, many of these house reps are going to be in your home district. You need to tell them unequivocally, no to this $95 billion border deal, not, not border deal, foreign aid bill. No. You need to tell them that to their face. You need to call them. You need to write to them. And then this piece of crap, this guy who's a Ohio congressman, who's both a, a tool of the military-industrial complex and a fool, uh, Ohio congressman Mike Turner shamelessly uses fear to try and pass aid bill and renew FISA. This was a disgusting story. And on our website at wethepeopleconvention.org, I have a thing that says, 
Call or write your Republican House member and demand that they reject the Senate Ukraine bill, aid bill, which actually stops a future President Trump from ending the Ukraine war. A GOP lawmaker, a GOP lawmaker, is calling for an inquiry into Republican colleague Representative Mike Turner over his cryptic warning of a serious national security threat this week, suggesting that he may have an ulterior motive to stirring up panic. On Wednesday, the House Intelligence Committee Chairman, Turner, dropped a bombshell with his statement calling for President Joe Biden to declassify information already made available to Congress about the, an unspecified threat. An announcement that comes as the GOP-controlled House is the last hurdle in a $60 billion giveaway to Ukraine that cleared the Senate earlier this week, as well as a renewal of the Foreign Intelligence Service Act without badly needed reforms to protect Americans from warrantless government snooping. But something seems suspicious about Turner's uh, fearful Valentine's Day card to the nation at least in the minds of some House Republicans, one of whom, Representative Andy uh, Algolis from Tennessee, is calling for an inquiry into what he describes as the Intel chair's reckless disregard uh, of, of his statement. This uh, revelation by the chairman was done with a reckless disregard of the implications and consequences said information would have on geopolitics, domestic and foreign markets, and, as, and the well-being and psyche of American people, the Congress wrote in a letter to the GOP House Speaker Mike Johnson on Thursday. In hindsight, it has become clear that the intent was not to ensure the safety of our homeland and the American people, but rather to ensure additional funding for Ukraine and passage of an unreformed Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act. This act constitutes poor judgment at a minimum and complete breach of trust influenced by the pursuit of political agenda at the maximum. That's right, Mike Turner, you creep. You tool of the military-industrial complex who just happened to return from a visit to Ukraine, don't you know, when he pulls this stunt. And you know what they're talking about? They're talking about Russia's going to put nuclear weapons in space not to attack us here on Earth, but to stop satellites in case of a war, something we've known about for like a year. But, oh, Turner... Yo, go And the media just, oh, uh, what's this about? An emergency. This is serious stuff. Horse hockey. This is all bull crap. Okay? And so this story followed. So you're connecting the dots of what's going on here. This is how the sausage is made. And unfortunately, we're the sausage. Our tax money's in the grinder. How Mike Johnson was forced to delay a key vote because he faced another GOP mutiny, don't you know? Right? Another mutiny. Well, geez, what was that mutiny about? House GOP members on the Intelligence Committee reportedly threatened a mutiny as Speaker Mike Johnson went forward withholding a vote on renewing sections of the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act this week. You know, the FISA that Comey and Strzok and Page misused uh, you know, uh, in the FISA courts to uh, go after Carter Page and Papadopoulos and, and people in the Trump campaign. You know, that FISA that doesn't need any reform at all because Christopher Wray says they've taken action to fix that. Oh, yeah, you can take that to the bank. Uh, Raj, uh, Raj Shah, Johnson's spokesperson, announced on X Wednesday afternoon that the House would not consider the bill that would revise Section 72 of FISA, which lets the government essentially use surveillance on foreign nationals outside the country without needing a warrant to do so, even if the party on the other side of the communications is on American soil. 
The tool has been credited with preventing national security threats, but criticized for spying on U.S. citizens, which I just explained to you, it absolutely has been, and it's been abused by the corrupt DOJ and FBI, CIA, and the rest of them. Um, the, the key part to this, though, in order to allow Congress more time to reach consensus on how best to reform FISA and Section 702, while maintaining the integrity of our critical national security programs, the House will consider the reforms and reauthorization bill at a later date. While this message presents the idea of a united Republican front on the matter, sources told Fox News that the decision is anything but. While the House Rules Committee was going through the legislation, the sources claim many members of the House Intelligence Committee threatened to tank a procedural vote that would effectively kill the bill. Instead of playing the game through rules and regular order, Intel Committee decided to take their ball and go home, walking away with, from the negotiated text and amendment plan without an, any understanding of why, one source says. But here's the kicker. The bill which is a months-long product of work between Judiciary and Intelligence Committee members, was expected to hit the House floor this week for a full vote. Seven lawmakers were assigned to hash out a compromise on the reforms of 702. Other sources told Fox that the bill's text was changed over the weekend to include an amendment from Representative Warren Davidson of Ohio, a member of the Freedom Caucus, who does not sit on the Rules or Intelligence Committees. One source said Davis's amendment was ineligible for consideration because it was not deemed relevant, but the language was updated during the weekend. Someone in leadership staff ended up drafting text that got inserted into the base text over the weekend, so they basically airdropped this one paragraph into the base text that now makes this amendment germane, the source told Fox News. This amendment totally screws FISA. The text that was added totally screws FISA in terms of its ability to be a national security tool. Well, what was that? What was that paragraph that Warren Davidson somehow, thank God, got put into this? Davidson's proposed amendment would have forced federal officers acting within FISA to seek a warrant before trying to obtain third-party-owned communications and location data of a U.S. citizen. Oh, no! Oh, no! You might have to get a warrant. You may have to ask a judge and give the judge the information, which they didn't do in the FISA court. They lied to the judge flat out. You may have to get a warrant before spying on American citizens. We, that's a non-starter. We got to get that out. So all you Ohio patriots, first ask of the day, call Warren Davidson's office this Monday and say, that a boy. Thanks, Warren. And call your reps, all of you guys, another ask. Talk to your house reps and say, no passage, no renewal of FISA and Section 720 without these reforms. They, you know they misuse it. Why would you just pass it unless you're a tool for the deep state? And believe me, after you watch the video I'm going to tell you about at the end of this podcast, you're not going to want anybody to be a tool of the deep state. You're going to want to gut the deep state, okay, for what they've done to America and to you. So anyway... You know, good job, Warren Davidson from Ohio. Everybody call him and, and, and thank him. So then many of you sent me uh, a, a video of an Ohio sheriff. And I didn't talk about it last week because I kind of wanted to see it, you know, how it played out and all that. And this was posted on our website in the video section. County sheriff warns about domestic terror attacks due to illegal border invasion. And and that was, it's, it's a good video and it's interesting. But again... It's, it's the deep state 
trying to manipulate our representatives into voting for things that aren't good for us. Okay, now this sheriff is talking about, you know, that the borders are wide open and the FBI briefed all the sheriffs about the fact that, you know, there's going to be a tax on our elections, a tax on our infrastructure. He was talking about things he wants to do in his, you know, county in Ohio to protect against this, to train, you know, citizens to defend themselves. And that's all well and good. You should watch the video. But this is still, they're ratcheting it up. Give us more money because of these threats. Well, who let everybody cross the border in the first place? What about the money we gave you to stop the invasion and you didn't? You damn liars. Do you see how the sausage is made? Do you see how we're the sausage? It's outrageous. And so I'm going to read this for you because this was just, this was really interesting. It was really a nice piece that I found and it's, it's just, it's, I'm going to read it to you. It's about three minutes. Your government needs you angry at foreign tyrants so you won't notice the ones that are ruling you, the tyrants that are ruling you, okay? Bear with me. As Nan will remind me, I'll try to read this slow so it's, it's coherent. In response to reports that Putin critic Alex, Alexei Navalny has died in a Russian prison, your rulers in Washington want you to be angry. Your corrupt government, which is at this very moment working to put your Christian neighbors in prison for protesting abortion, wants you to be very angry at a foreign leader nearly 6,000 miles away so you won't pay attention to what your leaders are doing to you in your own backyard. Your government, which wants to disarm you and prevent you from defending yourself, wants you angry at a leader who has no power over you whatsoever. The government censors you and lies to you about viruses it helped create wants your focus elsewhere. The government that sold your economy off to China and then destroyed the value of your currency wants you mad at someone else. The government that banned you from going to church and then tried to fire you for not taking its worthless, quote, vaccine, wants to whip you into a frenzy over literally anything else other than what it's doing to you right now. The government that opened your borders to invasion and looked the other way as violent crime enveloped your cities wants you to believe that crime on another continent is the only crime you should care about, and that the borders of the country half a world away are the only borders worth protecting, not yours. America's government would never treat its citizens like foreign tyrants do. You're supposed to keep comfortably, comfortably believing. It would never imprison an individual whose life and knowledge suddenly became a huge liability to the regime. It would definitely never kill him in prison, wipe the video cameras that recorded his death, and claim that he committed suicide. Can you say Epstein, folks? And the American government would certainly never try to ban its chief political opponent from the ballot, try to bankrupt him with frivolous lawsuits, or attempt to imprison him to prevent him from winning an election. The American government would never tap attorneys appointed by the president's handpicked lawyers to absolve the president of his whole host of crimes committed by the president and his family. On top of that, the American government would never imprison thousands of political dissidents for protesting against the regime's history of rigging elections or refer to, refer to them as a bunch of filthy, kulak-wrecking insurrectionists. And you better believe the American government would never ally with corrupt oligarchs who... Uh, who owe their fortunes to monopolies protected by the government to censor the government's political opponents to prevent them from take, talking about the corruption of the family running the government. That would never happen, right? They're manipulating you, gaslighting you, and trying to emotionally blackmail you into going along with their nonsense because those things are only supposed to happen in other countries. 
Stop letting them get away with them. Call them out. I thought that was a very, very well-written piece, and I'll link to that on our podcast page because it speaks the truth to power. And that and that's what's going on. We're being gaslighted. We're being lied to. And you know, and, and Fox News and those clowns, they're just all in on it. I mean, you know, you would have thought Novotny, you know, was a, a, a was a, a hero to the American people. The coverage was insane. It's all propaganda. It's gaslighting you. They didn't cover the things that were really important to American citizens, right? They didn't cover any of that while they were spending the time distracting you. And that's exactly what they're doing. So what happens now? You know, well, this is very interesting. Another trusted FBI informant discredited renewing concerns over the Bureau's vetting. This is about the fact that the FBI arrested one of their trusted informants in the Biden uh, case when they told us this guy was rock solid and now they find out he lied. In the two most politically sensitive FBI criminal cases since Watergate, the Justice Department has concluded that the Bureau's confidential human sources had serious flaws that went undetected for years by the agents handling, and agents handling them. The unexpected federal indictment Thursday of an FBI informant at the center of one of Biden's impeachment allegations created whiplash inside the media and Congress. After all, just a few months earlier, FBI Director Christopher Wray had vouched for the source, Alexander Smirnov, telling lawmakers his name shouldn't be disclosed because he has been invaluable to law enforcement and was so trusted and credible the U.S. government had paid him hundreds of thousands of dollars of your money for his information. Now, no matter how Special Counsel David Weiss' indictment ends up, and Smirnov is presumed innocent until proven guilty, there is a harsh reality facing Congress and the Justice Department that is a blinking red light for attention. And the two most political sensitive criminal cases in Watergate, both of them, both their, their confidential sources, have now been disclosed as bad. Three separate DOJ investigations have now found evidence that has discredited handling of FBI informants Christopher Steele and Igor Donchenko in the Russian collusion case and Smirnov in the Biden inquiry. Ray has tried to assure his overseers, most recently Special Counsel John Durham last year, that he has made reforms that resolve the problem. But Smirnov's indictment, as laid out by Weiss, strongly suggests otherwise. For the first time, Smirnov, a resident of Los Angeles, was publicly identified in Weiss's indictment as the informant who provided the allegations contained in the explosive uh, FD-1023 FBI report replaced, uh, replaced by Republicans in Congress last year. Chuck Grassley did that. That report, dated from summer 2020, alleged that Joe Biden uh, and Hunter Biden had made a deal with officials of the Ukrainian energy company, Burisma Holdings, to get a Ukrainian prosecutor fired in return for bribes of $5 million each. In fact, Weiss alleged Thursday, Smirnov made up the allegations because he just disliked Joe Biden running for president. Really? So how do you believe the FBI and the DOJ either way? Because they're clearly incompetent. They're paying people for information who are liars. They did that you know, in, in Russia, Gate. They, they've done this with this guy. So now, you know, what, what are you to believe? And that's why the House investigation is even more important. It's even more important, folks. So, so, so now you've got this whole blow up, okay, for the uh, House, the her investigation, which basically says, you know, Biden had more classified documents than Trump in totally unsecured places. 
But now, you know, the Biden people are saying, oh, you know, hers are politically motivated. I told you last week, I called it an assassination. They could have indicted Biden for stealing classified documents, destroying them, holding them, and all that. They didn't do that. They assassinated them politically. So the House Oversight Committee demands access to the Biden classified documents uncovered by their investigation. And that's what they should do. Joe Biden might have escaped uh, justice from the Department of Justice for his willful mishandling of classified documents and other sensitive material. But now that the her investigation is over, the Republican Majority Hopes Oversight Committee is demanding access to some of those documents. See, what they did is Congress was demanding these documents that, you know, that, that they you know, collected from the Penn Biden Center at the University of Pennsylvania uh, you know, and at, at his house and other places. And they said, oh, we can't turn them over because there's an ongoing investigation. Well, now the investigation is over. So the House is immediately saying, we want those documents. Well, then we find out that her himself is going to testify on March 12th. And the Biden administration is going insane. But this is all about the deep state controlling who runs the government. Okay? And we've talked about this. Only President Trump, who we elected in 2016, has ever been elected against the power of the deep state. And that's why they went insane on him during his presidency and since then. And wait till you hear about the video I'm going to tell you about at the end of the podcast that really explains this. So this is good news. What we want most of all, we want the audio tape of Biden's interview where you can tell how mentally impaired he is. Okay, how mentally impaired he is. And oh, oh, by the way, uh, the White House has indicated that Biden won't take a cognitive test than his, during his annual physical. Oh, are you surprised? In response to Robert Hur's special counsel report, among the uh, various excuses White House Press Secretary Karine Jane Pierre gave was that Hur was politically motivated and not a doctor. She also said with a straight face that Biden does more in an hour than most do in a day. You got to be kidding me. Yet, when it comes to a doctor evaluating Biden's mental condition, contrary to Jane Pierre's talking points, it's something the White House is deliberately avoiding. The White House suggested on Monday that President Joe Biden will not take a cognitive test during his yearly physical exam, despite overwhelming skepticism from voters that he has a mental, doesn't have the mental fitness needed to serve a second term. Okay? So, there you have it. Oh, he, you know, he's totally fine. But let's not prove that, right? And, that, and then they, get, they say, well, why does like 87% of Americans believe that the guy's, you know, mentally impaired? Because he is. We can see with our own eyes. So Julie Kelly, who has just done great work on January 6th and other things, uh, she posted, you know, a report to basically debunk the, the lies that the White House and their media sycophants are trying to tell you about the, the Biden you know, classified document case. They're trying to tell you that he didn't do anything wrong, that he was exonerated, don't you know, that he was not guilty. Joe Biden is guilty as sin in document scandal. Despite media and White House spin, i.e. lies, that the DOJ did not find Joe Biden guilty of stealing classified documents, the DOJ report shows he's guilty as sin. According to the report released last week by Special Counsel Robert Hur, Joe Biden has a long history of mishandling classified documents. Witnesses told her during the course of his year-long investigation that Vice President Biden routinely took classified files and did not return them as required. 
Mr. Biden was known to remove and keep classified materials from his briefing books for future use, and his staff struggled and sometimes failed to retrieve these materials, her disclosed in the special counsel's damning 388-page report. Even the nation's most guarded secrets were unsafe in Biden's hands. In August 2020, Mr. Biden failed to return top-secret, sensitive, compartmented uh, information uh, contents of a classified briefing book that he received during a trip to the Hamptons. His reckless management of classified papers so alarmed the White House officials that he scheduled a briefing with Biden that same month to review the necessary security protocols. Despite the briefing, Biden carelessly continued throughout his term. He would frequently leave classified documents unattended outside of safes at the Naval Observatory and his Delaware home, former aides told investigators. Uh, Her said, our investigation uncovered evidence that President Biden willfully retained and disclosed classified materials after his vice presidency when he was a private citizen. These materials included marked classified documents about military and foreign policy in Afghanistan and notebooks containing Mr. Biden's handwritten entries about issues on national security and foreign policy implicating sensitive intelligence sources and methods. Okay? He did it willingly, knowingly. He shared it with people who have no security clearances. He destroyed documents. He did way more than Trump. Oh, but he's not going to be charged because no jury would convict him because he's an old man with a bad memory. Oh, really? You think any jury in Ohio or Oklahoma or Texas would convict Donald Trump of any of the things they're charging him with? You think? Yeah. Yeah. This is what's wrong with the whole system, folks. This is what's wrong with everything. And so then, you know, it just keeps coming. It, I mean, it just keeps coming. The her is right. You know, Biden did this. But then Bob Alinsky, you know, has testified to the House committee. And, and remember, Hunter Biden's going to be testifying here, you know, uh, in a month or so. China's, uh, Hunter Biden's for, uh, Hunter's former partner says China tried to infiltrate and compromise Biden family and Obama White House. China successfully attempted to infiltrate and compromise the Biden family. The Obama White House, a former business associate of Hunter Biden, testified Tuesday before a House committee looking into alleged allegations of influence petting. Tony Bobulinski, who worked with Hunter Biden before blowing the whistle on what he alleged to be a massive influence peddling scheme involving President Joe Biden, which he did before the 2020, excuse me, the 2020 election, and the media completely snuffed him out. He was illegitimate. Fox News barely covered. I think only Tucker Carlson did, right? They covered it up to rig the election. Oh, but the election wasn't rigged. Remember that. Uh, Bob Alinsky alleged that the other Biden enabled a lucrative business arrangement involving his son Hunter and a major energy company tied to the Chinese Communist Party. He also testified that Joe Biden's immediate family members were enriched to the tune of tens of millions of dollars made from conducting business with shady counterparts, including some based in adversarial nations, during and after Biden's eight years as vice president. The Chinese Communist Party, through its surrogate, Chinese Energy uh, Company Limited, successfully sought to infiltrate and compromise Joe Biden in the Obama-Biden White House, Bob Alinsky told House investigators, according to a transcript of his opening statement. I want to be crystal clear. From my direct personal experience and what I have subsequently come to learn, it is clear to me that Joe Biden was the brand being sold by the Biden family, he said, adding Joe was more than a participant in and a beneficiary of his family business. He was an enabler, despite being uh, buffered by a complex scheme to maintain plausible deniability. 
So we've talked about that, right? All these 20 corporations, the money laundering to hide it. Everything's a loan, don't you know? And they didn't pay taxes on anything. That's why Hunter's in trouble, okay, in, in, in California. So then this story comes out. Newhouse uh, investigators identified bank accounts allegedly used to funnel money through Biden's grandchildren. And the House Oversight Committee and Judiciary Committee impeachment investigators continue their probe into alleged questionable dealings of Joe Biden and the family business. They have identified a newly discovered bank account after a witness suggested the account might have been used to funnel money to Joe Biden from his grandchildren. House Oversight Committee Chairman James Comer told Justin News that the new information is part of a body of evidence that may eventually lead Congress to subpoena Biden's personal bank account and credit card records. In one of the interviews that we, we haven't, I don't believe, disclosed with a transcript yet, the witness made reference to an account we didn't know about. We researched that account. They also said that account could have possibly been paid with some infusion from grandchildren. Uh, Comer said, now, I don't know about you, but I don't know anyone in the world whose grandchildren have ever deposited money into a savings account for their elderly grandfather. But now maybe I'm wrong, but that's something we're going to look into. Uh, the information came from a longtime business associate of Hunter Biden, who also had occasional access to Joe Biden's financial records. That source said they expected the transcript of that witness to be released late this week or early next week. Right? So we have no morals, no scruples. Let's just involve our grandchildren because nobody would ever look there. And geez, why would you do that if what you were doing was legal? And you weren't guilty. Oh, but don't worry. Joe Biden's not guilty. He's he's innocent. It's a witch hunt. Those evil Republicans, they're just terrible people, right? So I'm going to wrap up, you know, the podcast, uh, first half of the podcast right now by this story that you guys all need to read. It's on our uh, We the People Convention website. CIA had foreign allies spy on the Trump team long before Clinton paid for the Steele dossier. Now, this is coming from Michael Schnellenberg and Matt Taibbi and Alex Gutentag, and it's basically coming out of Substack, which is the only place now that you can really find honest journalism, okay? And this is damning as hell, and I'm not going to read the whole thing to you, but you need to read the whole thing. Last year, John Durham, a special prosecutor for the Department of Justice, concluded the Federal Bureau investigation should never have opened its investigation of alleged collusion by then-President candidate Donald Trump and Russia in late July of 2016. Now, multiple credible sources tell public, that's their Substack thing, that the United States intelligence community, including the Central Intelligence Agency, CIA, illegally mobilized foreign intelligence agencies to target tripe Trump advisors long before the summer of 2016. The new information fits, fills many gaps in our understanding of the Russia collusion hoax and is supported by testimony already in the public record. Until now, the official story has been that the FBI investigation began after Australian intelligence officials told U.S. officials that a Trump aide had boasted to an Australian diplomat that Russia had damning material about Democratic presidential candidate Hillary Clinton. That was Stephanopoulos. Uh, no, that what, what was his name? Uh, Papadopoulos. Okay, and it was a setup, and he wasn't. He didn't know what he's talking about. But they used this as a predicate for this whole Russia Russia Gate, you know, fiasco. In truth. 
The U.S. intelligence agencies asked the Five Eyes intelligence intelligence agencies to surveil Trump associates and share share their intelligence they acquired with U.S. agencies, says sources close to the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence Investigation. The Five Eyes nations are U.S., U.K., Canada, Australia, and New Zealand. After public had had been told that President Barack Obama's CIA director, John Brennan, had identified 26 Trump associates for the Five Eyes to target, a source confirmed that the IC had identified them as people to bump or make contact with or manipulate. They were targeted by of our own uh, intelligence agencies and law enforcement, targets for collection and misinformation. Unknown details about the FBI investigation of the Trump, Trump uh, campaign and raw intelligence related to the IC's surveillance of the Trump campaign in a 10-inch binder that Trump ordered to be declassified at the very end of his term, sources told public. It's if the top secret document exists proving these charges, they are potentially proof that multiple U.S. intelligence officials broke laws against spying and election interference. And there, folks, I think is the reason for the Mar-a-Lago raid. They're trying to get this book back because it proves that long before Hillary paid and, and uh, through Perkins Coy paid Steele to write the bogus Steele dossier and use that as a predicate. The U.S. intelligence agency, starting with Obama's uh, chief guy, uh, Brennan, basically told their foreign intelligence counterparts, go out and bump these 26 innocent people in the Trump campaign to try to entrap them in something we can use to stop Trump from winning the presidential election. It was way before Clinton did what she did, and now they need to be held accountable. And so you're going to want to read this this whole article, and then there's a part two to it that came out where they're they're even disclosing more information. But the, let's be very clear: the U.S. government is the one who interfered in the 2016 election. They're the ones who put up the all the information to impeach Trump twice. They're the ones who used the Ukraine phone call as another reason to impeach Trump. Right? Why? Because he was a threat to them. He wasn't starting any wars. He was cutting their budgets. He wasn't listening to them on foreign policy. He wasn't doing what other presidents have done, which was listen to their masters. Remember Chuck Schumer? Don't mess the intelligence agencies. They have seven ways from Sunday to get you. Well, they did get Trump. But now we're going to get them back, you and I, right? We're going to fight to get them back by doing this through our 2020 victory plan. But you're going to have to follow this because, folks, it's worse than you ever expected. And this new video I'm going to tell you about at the end of the podcast is, is going to just blow your mind. It's, it's just horrendous. So I hope you enjoyed the first part of the podcast. I hope I put some things in context for you. I hope you're going to act and thank Warren Davidson. And, and, and you're going to act by calling your congressman while they're on recess, seeing them in your home district and saying, don't you pass this bill to fund Ukraine and, and, and Israel and Taiwan, which is really a poison pill to stop Donald Trump in the future. Don't pass that and don't let FISA get renewed without reforms, right? Are those two asks clear? That's what you're going to talk to your congressman about. Those will be linked on our podcast page you know, after the show. So thank you for listening to the first half of the show. You've been listening to the We The People Convention News and Opinion Podcast, 
And my name is Tom Zawistowski. The We The People Convention News and Opinion Radio Program is paid for by donors like you. You can donate to the We The People Convention and support our cause by going to wethepeopleconvention.org or by sending your check in any amount to We The People Convention, P.O. Box 6211, Akron, Ohio, 44312. When you're playing a video, including our podcast, you'll see this little cloud button, and if you click it, it'll actually download the, po- the video to your hard disk. And this works on our podcast page as well. If, you, if you're playing our podcast, and it's going to be loud, so I won't play it for much, but there's our podcast playing, and you can see this little you know, download button. Okay. The other thing you got to notice on our podcast page is that there's a link here where you can send me a message about this podcast. Hey, it was great. Hey, I didn't like it. What you know, something was wrong, or here's a correction. That kind of thing. You can use that link. And then these are the stories that I covered in this particular podcast. And you'll see there's links that go to the stories that to the articles that I used in reporting on that. So you can you can click on that. Um, you'll also see that um, you can sign up for our emails and text messages, but you can also watch our podcast on Roku TV and on Amazon Fire TV. And these are the instructions for doing that. So this is all on our, our podcast page, right? Right on the front page where the yellow button was. So if you click there, you know, this is our podcast page. These are the instructions for watching on Roku TV or Amazon Fire. And I watch our podcast on TV. It just feels more comfortable. Uh, so you can do that. We're also on Rumble. Uh, if you go to Rumble, uh, you should join Rumble. Uh, and, you know, it's Tom Z at WTPC. You'll see our podcast there. So you can get us a lot of different ways, including on Apple iTunes. And then this is an audio uh, version of our podcast. If you click here, it'll just play the audio of the podcast. It will not, uh, you know, uh, you know, show you the video. So people can, you know, listen to that while they're jogging or, you know, working out, working in the yard or just relaxing and just want to listen to the audio and not watch the video. And again, this is available on phone, on your iPad, on your laptop, on your computer, any way you want. And you can share, you know, this, this, you know, whatever you see, if you're on a page that you, you know, you really like and you know, you see an article that you think, geez, I've got to share this article, you know, with uh, someone in my family. You can send them an email by clicking on the little envelope. You can uh, post it on Parler or MeWe. If you click on this, you get all kinds of options, you know, where you can put it on Twitter or Facebook, whatever, which we don't support, but uh, you can do whatever you want. So, so we ask that you share what uh, you see on our We The People Convention site and that um, you get more people to look at it because uh, that's the whole idea here, to help uh, educate people, inform them. And then, as I said uh, before, Link, we're not just about talk, we're about action. And in my podcast every week, uh, which is published every Saturday, so if you, you know, the new podcast usually comes out every Saturday. And in that podcast, I will ask you to do certain things that will help protect and defend your individual freedom, liberty, and prosperity. So that's the We The People Convention website. Come back often, use it uh, to be formed, be informed, and uh, share it with others. Thanks a lot.
All right. And thank you for watching this podcast. Thank you for donating if you can. If you can't, it's important that you share this podcast with others. Why? The more people that know the truth, the more people who can take action on the things we ask you take action on. So, you know, we really appreciate it. Uh, I would uh, also suggest that you, uh, we do uh, we do post on Twitter and MeWe and True Social. It's Tom Z at WTPC. We ask you follow us and you repost our things so we get our word out there more. Uh, I actually post, you know, the advertisement for this podcast on Twitter and, and Truth. If you can, you know, spread the word, on, it's on Rumble as well. So uh, please do that. But please also go to your Google Store, your Apple Play Store, and download the We the People Convention phone app. Uh, it's it's under, you can look up WTPC Space Convention, WTPC Space Convention uh, on Apple App Store or Google Play Store. Download it and be sure to allow notifications because then I can send you messages that don't cost us any money. When I text you or email you, we have to pay for that and uh, and it's getting more and more expensive and less and less effective. So the phone app is a way to get around Google and those people and the phone care is blocking us, okay? So let's get on with the second half of the, of the podcast. Um, this was a, an important story. Supreme Court asked special counsel to respond to Trump presidential immunity. So this section is going to be about all the court cases that are going on, but this is an important one. This is um, in the uh, Washington, D.C., the Chutkin trial, okay? They're, they're trying to charge Trump with insurrection, even though they don't charge him with insurrection, uh, for January 6th. Chief Justice John Roberts has requested that the Justice Department respond to former President Donald Trump's attempt to assert presidential immunity in his ongoing January 6th related case in D.C. The U.S. Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit has just rejected President Trump's attempt to overturn Judge Tanya Chutkin's refusal to dismiss DOJ's prosecution based on presidential immunity. Uh, Roberts' uh, February 13th uh, request comes less than a week after the justices heard President Trump's appeal a Colorado ruling that he was disqualified from appearing on a state ballots. So that's that's a different case. We talked about that last week. This is whether Trump has uh, presidential immunity. Uh, President Trump criticized the appeals court, uh, arguing that it has provided a tight timeline for asking the Supreme Court for relief before requiring Judge Chutkin to resume her pretrial proceedings. So the, the appeals court denied Trump's uh, position that he has presidential immunity because he was president on January 6th. He didn't become not become president until January 20th. And and there's, you know, laws that protect the president from these type of, of charges. Um, they gave him a week. They, they usually you have like 90 days. They gave him a week. So again, the fix is in. Judge Chutkin indefinitely postponed the scheduled trial date of March 4th, was looking increasingly unlikely amid the former president's various appeals. Okay, so that's the first thing. The D.C. trial of Trump, I don't think, is going to ever take place because the immunity thing still has to go through the Supreme Court. And then Trump was charged, two of the four, two of the four charges against Trump were the obstruction of an official proceeding charge that the Supreme Court is looking at, that I talked to you at the beginning of the podcast, that the January 6th prisoners have been charged with, and I think they're going to throw that out in June, and so half of, of the case will be gone, okay? 
So that's that nonsense is, is, is happening and, and it's all blowing up. Okay. Then the the the, the circus that it was the, the trial of Fannie Willis, the, the district attorney and, and her lover, the prosecutor in Georgia, that's all they talked about. Okay. They all they talked about on your news. Wall to wall coverage of this disgusting display of a of a uh, a district attorney who says she didn't know there were any rules against employees having relationships with their, their fellow employees. What a liar. She paid cash to reimburse him for the money that she paid him for, in salary, overpaid him for them to go on all these junkets. The bottom line is, if this woman isn't thrown out off the case and isn't prosecuted for misuse of government funds and her lover, then... You know, we've seen it all, all right? And, and it looked really bad. But again, it's bread and circuses. For the, for, with all that's going on in our world, to have the media, particularly conservative media, just cover this all day long was obscene, okay? Ignore it. It doesn't mean anything until it means something. And the same is true. You're not going to hear me go into great depth about this phony, bogus trial, quote-unquote, in New York State the, of a non-crime where th this idiot clown judge just ruled that Trump should pay $350 million in fines for overstating the value of his assets, which he didn't do, and none of his creditors thought he did, and they all made money and didn't lose money, and he's also not allowed to operate his businesses in New York for three years. Folks, I'm, forget it. It's going to be appealed. It's insane. There's no, there's not a shred of law here at all. You know what there is? Political persecution. And they want us to be mad at Putin? They want us to be mad at Putin? What the New York District Attorney, a state attorney general, is doing to Donald Trump is as bad as anything Putin or any other dictator ever did. That's our country, folks. It's totalitarian dictatorships. It's tyranny. And in New York State, they spent millions of taxpayer dollars to create a bogus case against Donald Trump that's not going to stand up. Ignore it. Ignore it, okay? It's just bread and circuses. Uh, what is important is things like this. The House, I told you last week, the House was going to impeach Mayorkas, and they did. Scalise came back from his cancer treatments, and he voted and the House impeached Mayorkas. Now, everybody's saying, oh, you know, it doesn't mean anything. I told you last week that, you know, it'll never get passed in the Senate and it will never, you know, and, and they'll re replace Mayorkas with another com communist, Marxist, anti-American fool, okay? But that's not the point. The process is the punishment. This is the first time in like 100 years. Let me see. Secretary of State, Homeland Security, Secretary of Homeland Security Alejandro Mayorkas on February 13th became only the second presidential cabinet member ever to be impeached in the 236-year history of the United States. Mayorkas was appointed by Biden in 2021, was impeached on two counts relating to his handling of the border crisis by a vote of 214 to 213, with all but three Republicans voting in favor and all Democrats opposing the action. The chamber burst into applause after the result was announced. You see, by letting... 10 million people into our country illegally? Yeah, you shouldn't get a prize for that. You should get fired for that, all right? But, oh, no, 
all the Democrats who their their states, New York State and Illinois and California and their mayors in Los Angeles and Chicago and New York are screaming about the illegal immigrants, all the, the Democrats voted against impeaching Mayorkas. You see, because that's part of the plan. They don't give a damn about the people in New York, Chicago, or the United States. They don't give a damn about you. They give a damn about ruling over you. And we talked last week, where and we showed you the video where Abbott, uh, not Abbott, the uh, Paxson, the Attorney General from Texas, spells it out. The video is on our page. The invasion is a plan to make our country a totalitarian dictatorship with one-party rule, just like Russia, don't you know? Okay? but So we're not going to vote to impeach Mayorkas. President Joe Biden decried the impeachment, calling it a blatant act of unconstitutional partisanship on the part of House Republicans who accused of playing politics at the border. Oh, you're not playing politics at the border, right? You're not flooding the border with illegals so you can take control of the congressional districts and, and, and expose one party role. That's not political. And, oh, it's unconstitutional to impeach someone for breaking the law numerous times and lying to Congress. That's unconstitutional. But, oh, not following the law or your oath of office and letting millions of people into our country. And by the way, this week they disclosed they aren't tracking any of them, folks. They aren't tracking any of them. So when I told you last week to call your governors or two weeks ago and say, how many are in our state? Where are they? What is your plan to round them up when Trump wants to deport them in a year from now? That's why you were doing it, because it's going to be up to we, the people, to identify the illegals in our communities. You're going to have to do like they did on January 6th, where there were the websites and all the lefties could report, oh, that person went to January 6th. Here's their picture. I went to high school with them, locked them up. Yeah, we're going to do the same to every damn illegal immigrant. We're going to hunt them in our, in our communities, and we're going to turn them over to our sheriffs and to our you know, police force and to the feds once Trump cleans out DHS, cleans out Homeland Security, reestablishes ICE and the Border Patrol, and we start to export every one of these people who are brought in to destroy our country. But, but Biden says what the Republican House did was unconstitutional and playing politics. He defended Mayorkas and his administration's handling of the border crisis and chastised House Republicans for recently rejecting a Senate foreign aid package that included border security measures. It did not. It included money to open the border more, the lion SOB. They're a bunch of damn liars. That's all they do. Biden can't open his mouth without telling you an untruth. Congress needs to act to give me, Secretary Mayorkas, and my administration the tools and resources needed to address the situation at the border, the president said in a statement. Address the situation. Not close the border, not keep the illegal immigrants out, but put in a better way of letting more in. That's what he means. That's the code, folks, that your family and relatives and people you work with don't understand. Okay? So when you go to this this story at WeThePeopleConvention.org, there's a little link that said, read, Speaker Johnson explains the 64 Biden policies that created the border crisis and that Biden needs no additional authority to close the border. There's a link where Johnson says, here are 64 things 
that Biden and Mayorkas intentionally did to open our border. And he's going to tell you on TV that firing Mayorkas was unconstitutional and politically motivated? Yeah. Yeah. So they're, they're commies. They're American haters. America lasts. They hate you and me. And here you go. They, they're going to spread their Marxism to the world. State Department releases updated plan to embed equity in all aspects of U.S. foreign policy. Don't you think that's a great idea? The State Department released on Wednesday its plan to embed equity, which is a Marxist concept, folks. We don't believe in equity. We believe in equal opportunity. We believe in equal justice. We don't believe in equity. We believe in meritocracy. May the best man or woman, woman win. Equity is everybody gets the same, which in communism means you all get to live in a cement block cell when stand in line for toilet paper, okay? Basically, the State Department released Wednesday is planned to embed equity into all aspects of foreign policymaking process, claiming that inequity is a national security challenge with global consequences. No, it's not. The report was released as part of an update to the Biden administration's initiative to push diversity, equity, and inclusion uh, policies at all levels of the federal government. These efforts include funding for foreign LGBT groups and pushing DEI into all aspects of the State Department's policy-making process. Over the past two years, we increased our efforts to embed equity in our foreign affairs work through diplomatic engagements, high-level dialogues, multilateral efforts, foreign assistance, public diplomacy programs, and messaging and procurement and contracts, the report said. These efforts have raised the visibility of racial and other inequities globally and generated better informed foreign policy to decrease barriers to equity and equality worldwide. Principles advocated by the State Department include efforts to combat hate and protect inclusive democracy, pushing racial equity and justice globally and advancing gender equity and equality globally. When Trump becomes president, they need to fire every one of them. They need to gut the State Department. Gut it. These people cannot be saved. They are pure and simply Marxists who hate America, hate the Constitution, hate you. So I mentioned that, you know, equity means everybody gets the same, which means there's no incentive for you to work. Why would you work hard if you work hard and your neighbor gets what you get? So you work hard to buy, you know, that really nice F-150, you know, truck, and your, your neighbor sits home on welfare but now you got to pay double for that truck so we can give him an F-150. That's what equity is. That's what Marxism is, right? And I said, in communism, what you saw was everybody had the same, nothing. Concrete block houses stand in line for toilet paper because they couldn't produce anything. But here's a little clue for you guys that you haven't picked up on, many of you. The Soviet Union collapsed. It was communist. When Putin interviewed with Tucker Carlson, he talked about how Russia was part of Europe and they wanted to be embraced by the West. They wanted to be in NATO. And we wouldn't let them. But Russia isn't a communist country anymore, folks. 
It's a Christian, quote-unquote, democracy, but it's really a, a dictatorship. That's, that's why they killed you know, the guy who was standing up to Putin. It's a dictatorship, but it's not communist, all right? So I just wanted to play this one video from Tucker Carlson on his trip to Russia, because besides talking to Putin, he went to a McDonald's in Russia, he went to a grocery store, and he went on a subway to compare them to what's going on in the United States. Here's a little clip from his visit to a grocery store in Russia. Cheese puffs? You check out of a grocery store and you've got gum, razor blades, and candy. Actually, they hide the razor blades because we steal them. But these are all, seem to be Western products. Mars, Twix, Snickers, Milky Way, Bounty, Gillette, Paul's Cough Drops, Mentos. It's pretty non-sanctioned to me, but what do I know? I went from amused to legitimately angry. Um, so we were guessing what this would cost. Everybody here is from the United States, buys groceries, and we didn't pay any attention to costs as we were just putting in the cart what we would actually eat over a week. And we all came in around 400 bucks, about 400 bucks. Um, it was $104 US here. And that's when you start to realize that ideology maybe doesn't matter as much as you thought, corruption. If you take people's standard of living and you tank it through filth and crime and inflation, and they literally can't buy the groceries they want, at that point, maybe it matters less what you say or whether you're a good person or a bad person. You're wrecking people's lives in their country, and that's what our leaders have done to us. And coming to a Russian grocery store, the heart of evil, and seeing what things cost and how people live, it will radicalize you against our leaders. That's how I feel anyway, radicalized. We're not making any of this up, by the way, at all. So there you have Tucker, and he's getting lots of criticism for being a stooge for Putin and, you know, that th this was a PR program for Russia. All I want you to understand is that a week's worth of groceries in Russia costs $104 U.S. and costs $400 in the U.S. That's what Point Tucker's making. Supposedly, this backward, sanctioned, evil country. It's all bullcrap. It's all made up. It's all projected to you as propaganda, right? When What are they doing? What I said earlier in the podcast, they're distracting you. The guy that wrote the piece about your government wants you angry. Look what Putin did. Yeah, don't look what they're doing to Trump. Don't look what they're doing to J6ers. Don't look what they did to Epstein. Don't look what they're doing in New York State and Georgia and across this country. Don't look at that. The answer is, yeah, you damn well better look at that. Because we ain't winning, folks. These people are destroying us on purpose. On purpose. You want more proof? Okay, we always bring the receipts, folks, here at the We the People Convention News and Opinion Podcast. Louisiana governor declares state of emergency due to severe law enforcement shortages. Governor Jeff Landry declared a state of emergency Friday in response to Louisiana's law enforcement's staffing crisis as the state saw some of the highest homicide rates in the country in recent years. While national law enforcement experienced 47% more resignations and 20% more retirements in 2022 than in 2019, 
The Louisiana Sheriff's Association estimated is down 1,800 deputies as of July 2023, according to the executive order. As a former police officer and sheriff's deputy, I understand the vital role of law enforcement officers play in our communities, Landry said in a statement. Currently, our state is facing a shortage of officers, resulting in increased crime and less public safety. The shortage is due to law enforcement not being able to hire officers faster than they are losing them, resulting in the department's record low unemployment and longer response times, according to the emergency declaration. It also adds that 75% of state police departments are having problems recruiting officers, while 65 reported that they don't have enough candidates applying. Oh, why would that be? Well, see, maybe if you show video on TV of illegal immigrants beating the crap out of two New York City policemen in broad daylight, including kicking them in the head, and that they get out on bail that day and leave the state, maybe that's why you wouldn't want to be a policeman, right? How did this happen, folks? Was this an accident? Remember George Floyd? Yeah, George Floyd wasn't killed by a police officer. He died of a drug overdose, but you would never know that. And how dare you say that, Tom Zawistowski, you racist hater. Yeah, hands up, don't shoot in Ferguson. All a lie. Why? Why? So the Marxist could defeat us. That's why the flag is upside down, folks. China funded all of this, all of this, to do what? Destroy your security forces. Destroy your police. Don't get me wrong. There is plenty of evidence of police doing things wrong in our country. But guess what? Destroying all police only helps the Marxists, only helps Russia, only helps China, only helps our enemies, only helps Joe Biden and Barack Obama and the people who, like Eric Holder who hate America more than anyone. Okay? And, and, and let's just finish up the story. Last month, the governor slammed the New Orleans Police Department for being in shambles. And he has since established a plan to bring a permanent Louisiana State troop to the city. He said, I mean, the New Orleans Police Department is in shambles because of a federal consent decree and federal judge, Landry said at an event in January. We have to wrestle that away from them. And even if she gives it to us today, it would take a decade to build that police department back up. What's he talking about? He's talking about Eric Holder, who said when he was the head of the DOJ, he was attorney general, that his you know, civil rights division, that whites cannot be uh, discriminated against. Only blacks can. The law doesn't apply to whites. Eric Holder was the one who said, we need to go into these cities and federalize their police departments. Why? So they would be ineffective. So they would destroy the police department. And that's what happened here in Cleveland and Columbus and New York and Chicago. And now he's saying in New Orleans. This wasn't an accident, folks. This is a plan. And, and so until you can get rid of these damn judges and these mayors and these civil council members and these police chiefs who thinks, oh, it's crime, charging blacks with crimes is racist, okay? Instead of charging on the merits, did you steal that car or didn't you? Did you punch that person or shoot that person or didn't you? No one's going to want to be a policeman. And if no one's a policeman, guess what? You have to be a policeman. 
That's why they're trying to take the Second Amendment away from you. That's the final stage of taking over the country. No accents here, folks. This is, this is real. This is real. You want some more evidence? Now, this is going to make you sick. And I, I really didn't want to do this story, but I have to do this story because it's so upsetting to me. Okay? Trans daycare molester scores plea deal canceling prison time. A prosecutor is defending the decision to sign off on a plea deal getting a, quote, transgender convicted of sexually molesting an infant out of prison. The Spectator had the exclusive February 9th story of McCracken County Commonwealth's attorney Dan Bose's excuses about the plea bargaining. According to Bose, the 300-plus days the sexual crime already jailed, actual criminals already served in jail, was sufficient punishment versus the 12-month sentence he received after pleading guilty. Maria Childers, a biological male who pretends to be a woman, was charged with one count of first-degree sexual abuse of a victim under 12 and three counts of first-degree criminal abuse of a child under 12. Here's what this pervert did. The daycare worker was accused by his co-workers of inappropriately touching and rubbing a baby's private parts while changing her diaper. Childers reported claimed the baby liked what he was doing to her. Childers was released in January and scored a plea deal. As FBI whistleblower Steve Friend tweeted, the social compact is broken. Our governments are willing to sacrifice children upon the altar of tranny madness. Childers, who is in McCracken County Jail in solitary confinement, already has his bond reduced from $100,000 to $5,000. Children's lawyer, Madison Leach, who the spectator also identified as a transgender activist, has complained that Childers didn't have access to his estrogen treatments. If only Childers had not had access to the baby he molested, maybe none of this would have happened. Okay? Our government, your government, in your community, at all levels, is attacking your children. And if you stand by, you're complicit. If you don't stop this, you are complicit. That's what's happening. That's why we fight the fight. Okay? So let's get on to some you know, other, other important news. Okay? This, you know, I said they do it on purpose. This is from Seattle. Seattle English students told it's white supremacy to love reading and writing, okay? Reading and writing, really. Listen to this story. Students in a Senate English class were told that their love of reading and writing is a characteristic of white supremacy in the latest Seattle Public Schools high school controversy. The lesson plan has one local father speaking out calling it educational malpractice. As part of the Black Lives Matter week at school, World literature and composition students at Lincoln High School were given a handout with definitions of nine characteristics of white supremacy. According to the father of a student, given the subject matter of the class, the father found it odd this particular lesson was brought up. The Seattle high schoolers were told that worship of the written word is white supremacy because it is an erasure of the wide range of ways we communicate with each other. By this definition, the very subject of world literature and composition is racist. It also chides the idea that we hypervalue written communication because it's a form of honoring only what is written, and even then, only is written to a narrow standard, a full of misinformation and lies. 
The worksheet does not provide any contract for what it actually means. I feel bad for any students who actually internalize stuff like this as it is setting them up for failure. The father explained to his son, uh, saying, explained to Jason Rance show at KTTHTV in Seattle. Okay? And you're going to expect these kids to, to function in society when they're told not to read and not to learn how to write? Let's make them totally illiterate. Oh, that's a good idea because it's racist, don't you know? Yeah, no plan here. So then there's this story that came out that's pretty interesting. Here, This is about a new guy who's appeared on the scene. Find my story here, I'm sorry. Getting mixed up. Oh, dear, dear, dear. Sorry, getting, getting my sheets of paper all confused. Where is the story? This is about a guy who's the next George Soros. Okay, okay here it is, I think. Okay. Next, George Soros. Recruiting Republican lobbyists for influence peddling. A company run by a liberal billionaire, dubbed by some as the next George Soros, employs former senior Republican staffers on Capitol Hill in what a watchdog group warns is an effort to sway GOP lawmakers to move to the left. Arnold Ventures LLC is a private company funded by left-leaning philanthropist John Arnold and his wife Laura, who have a net worth of $3.3 billion, according to Forbes. Arnold Ventures said it focuses on issues such as criminal justice reform, don't you know, prescription drug prices, contraception, and tax policy geared at minimizing injustice. Most prominently, Arnold Ventures employs three well-connected Republicans. George Callas, who is a senior staffer for former House Speaker Paul Ryan, the Wisconsin Republican, who was the GOP's 2012 vice presidential nominee. Kevin Ring, a former staffer for the Republican Study Committee, the caucus of House Conservatives, who authored books on the late Supreme Court Justice Anthony Scalia, a conservative icon, and was convicted in a corruption scandal. Andrew Moylan, who formerly worked for two conservative-leaning organizations, the National Taxpayers Union and R Street Institute. These individuals are rent a Republican for Arnold Ventures, said Thomas Jones, president of the American Accountability Foundation, a conservative watchdog group. This is a new level of sophistication of lobbying by mega-liberal billionaires, Jones told the Daily uh, Signal. Jones, uh, John Arnold has enlisted Republicans with a dump truck full of cash, he said. I don't think the institutional left has tried this before, but basically they're going to intend to hire Republicans to do what? To lobby Republicans to do what? Go along with the Marxist plan to sell out our country. So, you know, there you have it. That's what they're doing. And that's what we're fighting. Final couple of stories here. Trump announces big changes for the RNC. And uh, this was not unexpected. Uh, basically, we had heard that Ronna McDaniel was going to drop, uh, was quitting her job after the South Carolina primary. There was a story that came out this week that that maybe wasn't true. But then Trump put this out. Uh, Monday evening, Trump issued a statement from his, for his, with his recommendations for RNC chair, co-chair, and chief operating officer. It reads, the RNC must be a good partner in the presidential election. It must do the work we expect from the National Party and do it flawlessly. That means helping to ensure fair and transparent elections across the country, getting out the vote everywhere, even in parts of the country where it won't be easy, and working with my campaign as a Republican presumptive nominee for president to win this election and make America great again. 
For these reasons, I think my friend Michael Watley should be the RNC's next leader. Michael has been with me from the beginning, has done a great job in his home state of North Carolina, and is committed to election integrity, which we must have to keep fraud out of our elections so it can't be stolen. My very talented daughter-in-law, Laura Trump, has agreed to run as RNC co-chair. Laura is an extremely talented communicator and is dedicated to all the, that MAGA stands for. She has told me she wants to accept this challenge and would be great. I've also asked Chris LaCivita, in whom I have full confidence to assume the role, in effect, of Chief Operating Officer of the committee. Chris has managed the RNC's day-to-day -day operations, so it will become a fighting machine for 2024 and use all the tools available to win for the American people. This group of three is highly talented, battle-tested, and smart. They have my complete and total endorsement to lead the Republican National Committee. Every penny will be used properly. It's a new day. So I don't know how you feel about that. I, I think a lot of people have problems with Laura Trump. It just reeks of nepotism. I don't think the guy from North Carolina is particularly qualified at all to be the RNC chair, and he's got kind of a spotty history. Uh, the other guy to be the chief operating director uh, seems like he might be a good fit. But the bottom line is Trump can't just dictate this. There will be a vote after the South Carolina uh, primary, I guess, and we'll see what happens. I go back to the fact that the RNC has done nothing but raise money and spend money. And, and I haven't seen any evidence that they have even the knowledge or the ability to confront the left on a state-by-state -state basis as far as the things that Trump outlined. That's why you and I sent President Trump the letter, and I, I sent it certified this week to make sure he gets it again, asking him to do five things. You know, call a meeting of all the state uh, GOP chairs uh, in, in, in Mar-a-Lago and have them put a plan forward to how they're going to fight election fraud and get out the vote in their state. Then call a meeting of all the grassroots leaders in all 50 states to Mar-a-Lago to jointly coordinate how they're going to win in their state, fight election fraud, and turn out the vote. Then get all the, um, you know, the people who've run for uh, president from Vivek to DeSantis, uh, you know, to Christie to, you know, any of them to, to start going out and working to elect U.S. Uh, Congress and, and Senate candidates who are MAGA to go fight for that. We asked Trump to promote Project 2025 at his rallies. Literally say, this is important. We need employees to carry out our agenda. In, in when we win, we need you need to go sign up to go to Washington to be a warrior for liberty. So we sent our letter to Trump asking him to execute a plan because right now we don't have a plan. And you can see that, you know, I wrote an op-ed that no one would print, by the way. We, we added a PR agency to push it out there, push, uh, you know, pitch it to various conservative websites. No one would print it. I finally posted it on Twitter myself uh, and spent a few hundred bucks to post it, to, to boost it to people. I will send that out as an email to you guys probably this week. But we don't have a plan, folks. And I don't think the RNC's got a plan either. And I'm not sure that these people that Trump is, is proposing to take over are going to be able to do much to make things any different. So that's that's my position on that. This is a big story that you need to take note of because it's, again, through your efforts and many other people's efforts that this is being done. J.P. Morgan Chase, BlackRock, drop out of a massive UN Climate Alliance in a stunning move. 
J.P. Morgan Chase has institutional investors BlackRock and State Street Global uh, Advisors on Thursday announced that they are quitting, or in the case of BlackRock, substantially scaling back involvement in a massive United Nations Climate Alliance form to combat global warming through corporate sustainability agreements, meaning ESG, okay? And it's it's bullcrap. It's, it's Marxist, and they were wrong to do it. In a statement, the New York-based J.P. Morgan Chase explained that it would exit the so-called Climate 100 Investment Group because of the expansion of its in-house sustainability team and the establishment of a climate risk framework in recent years. BlackRock and State Street, with both managed trillions of dollars in assets, said the alliance's climate initiatives had gone too far, expressing concerns about potential legal issues as well. The stunning announcements come as the largest financial institutions in the U.S. and worldwide face an onslaught of pressure from consumer advocates and Republican states over their environmental, social, and government's priority, meaning their their investment companies. You give them your money to invest. Their job is to return the best return on that investment possible. When you tell people that you invest in, as these big companies do, that, that, you know, billions of dollars that they have to run their business a certain way because of climate change, what it does is it raises costs and lowers profitability. You've got to give credit and you should call your state attorney general if they join in these lawsuits that basically did two things. They withdrew state pensions from investing with these woke joke financial companies. And two, they sued to say, you guys are breaking your contract with your investors. You're not getting the best return. You're hurting that return for ideological reasons, and that's illegal. Folks, this is a huge win. Don't stop. Keep beating them up. Fight ESG, you know, is every step you see it. Environmental, social, and governance priorities is bullcrap. It's anti-capitalism. That's what it's about. It's about destroying the West. And they're doing a hell of a good job because we let them. But now we're stopping them and we're pushing them back. And I wanted you to see that. I also put this out. I just thought it was it was a great story. I didn't get a great response from you guys. Maybe you'll take a second look after this. It's called Saving Marriage at Scale. And it's an article from City Journal, which is kind of an obscure, mostly leftist a magazine. In late October, I, a religious Jew, flew to Denver to meet a group of Catholic and Protestant leaders gathered to strategize on how to build strong marriages in an era of family breakdown and religious disaffiliation. Such confabs aren't new, though this one resembled the Silicon Valley Entrepreneurs Conference more than the discussion among Christian leaders. At the center of the event, dubbed the Communo Investors Roundtable, was J.P. DeGads, a Catholic and former executive vice president of the Philanthropy Roundtable. He said, like many kids out of college, I wanted to improve the country. So I came to D.C. to work in public policy, he says. But after years toiling in the Capitol, he realized that what truly ails our nation requires work that goes far beyond politics. This realization and his experience caring for his nieces and nephews after his sister's marriage collapsed helped DeGrasse shift his vocation from public policy advocacy to social entrepreneurship, applying the principles of startups to boost marriage outcomes. DeGrasse understands that what abundant social science research affirms, 
Strong marriages support health and happiness. Solid marriages are buttresses. Strong families and communities and, and their opposites exert a corresponding negative influence. We know that crime is higher in communities with fewer married fathers. The University of Virginia's Brad Wilcox has observed. We know that parents are less involved in schools. We know that the ability is lower to support kids. Areas with more one-parent families tend to have lower rates of upward mobility. Even if your own parents are married, economist, economist John Chetty notes, if you grow up in an area where a lot of kids are being raised by single parents, you are less likely to climb the income ladder. While there are exceptions, extensive data shows that children raised in two-parent households, even when their parents are not legally married, do better emotionally, physically, academically, and economically over their lifetimes. Kimono, which DeGlance launched in 2017, offers churches a framework and resources to increase engagement and promote marriage in their communities. It uses a data analytics, uh, its use of data analytics strengthens its value proposition. Humano's predictive model analyzes social and behavioral patterns in areas around churches and to suggest which residents are likely to get married, get divorced, or become single parents, and whether individuals living in these places might react favorably to invitations from a church to participate in marriage programs. The organization then works with each church to hone its direct mail, door-to-door -door contact, digital advertising, and social media outreach to determine what, if any, invitation would be most attractive to potential recipients. They may, for example, extend an invitation to couple with young kids for a date night with free childcare. Others may receive invitations to activities such as salsa, salsa lessons, trivia contests, or stand-up comedy. The bottom line is they're using analytics to help churches look at their community and help improve the chances for people to get married and stay married. I loved it. I love it. It's American ingenuity. And, and, and I just wanted to share that article with you so that you could share it with others because we aren't powerless. We can do things, okay? We can do things. We just can't expect the government to do things because they have the wrong incentives, as we'll see and have seen in this podcast, and you will see next. This is the video I've mentioned three times in this podcast. It's now at wethepeopleconvention.org in our video section. It's a one-hour conversation, though it's really a diatribe, by a guy named Mike Benz, who is the director of the Foundation for Freedom Online. This is going to disturb you. It's going to disturb you. And I, I, I said... You know, the headline for this story on our website is learn how and when our intel agencies turned on us. This guy, Mike Benz, has an unbelievable amount of information of how the U.S. intelligence agencies, after honing their skills to overturn foreign governments, supposedly to help democracy, right, the way we want it, how we did it in Ukraine twice, okay, that once Trump came along and you and I came along, they decided that they needed to use these same tactics on the American people, and they have. And he knits together the whole web. And basically, this is all being housed in DHS, Department of Homeland Security, which was created after 9-11. They have now taken the power and created this what they think is a legal web 
to basically rig our elections and destroy anyone that speaks out against the government. They are all in on censorship. They consider censorship protection of democracy. So you've heard that in the media, right? And you heard these talking heads and these stupid politicians say it, but it's not just words. They're putting this into practice. So this podcast is wrapping up. This is an hour long, this interview. You're going to need to watch it. You're going to need to understand it because this is what we're fighting. This is what Trump is fighting. This is what we have to do, folks. I'm telling you now, I am convinced that what you and I are up against starting next year, if God willing, we can do what it takes to win an election and, and elect people, not just to the White House, but take over the Senate and the House and hold them accountable. We literally have to have an American revolution. We have to dismantle the federal government. I've talked to you about, you know, firing 40% of bureaucrats, I don't think that's enough. When you watch this video, you're going to understand how bad it really is. And if we ever want to have our representative republic back and equal justice under the law and the, the respect for the Constitution and the Bill of Rights that made us exceptional, we have to get way smaller government, way smaller we got to quit saying, oh, government needs to feed me if I can't find a job. Or, you know, neighbors shouldn't help neighbors or families shouldn't help feed you. The government should solve all our problems. We are learning that is the worst decision ever because they own you. If you take the bribe, they own you. You're going you're gonna to be stunned by what this guy has to say. You're going to say, where the hell's this guy been? I don't know where the hell this Tucker found this guy and why hasn't he been on any other media? He's going to be now after this, folks. You're going to go to wethepeopleconvention.org and you're going to go to our podcast webpage and, and you're going to want to watch this and then you're going to want to share it, okay? All right, so I'm going to wrap up the podcast. It is critical that you tell other people about this podcast so they can become informed and then they can also act on the things we want you to act on. If you have questions, if I'm wrong about something, if there's corrections, if you want to submit stories that we should cover to tell other people about that we haven't told them about, write to me at info at wethepeopleconvention.org. Info at wethepeopleconvention.org. We read them all. We reply to them. Lots of the stories you saw here came from our viewers and listeners. Okay? Go to the podcast page, and we will not only have links to all the stories. In other words, when I cover a story, there's a printed you know, story from a webpage that you can link to. Our new chapters player allows you to, if you can't watch the podcast end to end, I understand, you can just go right to the story that you're interested in and hear the video, okay? And at the bottom of the, of the list of stories, you will see our action items for, for this show. What should you do this week to protect and defend your individual freedom, liberty, and prosperity? I thank you for joining us on what's a beautiful and cold, snowy uh, February Saturday in Northeast Ohio. I appreciate you taking your time. I really do. I know you don't have all the time in the world. I know many of you count on this show 
to bring you up to date on what happened during the week so you don't have to pay attention to talking heads. I take that responsibility, you know, very, very important to me to fulfill that desire by you. I hope I've done that in this show. I hope you'll have a good week. Be happy. Do things that make you happy. Shut off the idiot box and the internet and stuff. Put down your phone when it becomes too much. Don't, don't pollute your mind. Treat your mind. Give yourself good mental health and good physical health. God willing, you'll be back next week and I'll be back next week. And we can continue to fight to protect our individual freedom, liberty, and prosperity. You've been listening to the We the People Convention News and Opinion Podcast. May God bless all of you. May God bless America. See you next week. Why?